Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listeners. Like you, we are deeply saddened by the unfortunate spread of COVID-19. Because of this, ParCast has decided to temporarily halt recording this week. This decision was a hard one to make, but we feel that it's a necessary precaution to ensure the safety of our hosts and staff. That being said, I am happy to take this opportunity to introduce another wonderful ParCast series I host called Tales. If you haven't heard it already, Tales explores the dark origins of your favorite pieces of folklore. If you're a fan of mythical monsters, Tales is right up your alley. And what better way to give you a sneak peek than by sharing these incredible episodes on The Sandman? All I can say, without giving away any spoilers, is that this story is quite a bit darker than you might expect. If you enjoy these episodes and want to hear more origins of popular fairy tales, follow the ParCast series Tales on Spotify. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The following episode contains adult themes such as torture, dismemberment, domestic abuse, and mental illness. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Nine-year-old Natanael should have been asleep by now. His mother had warned him. His sister's nursemaid had warned him. But it was too late. The Sandman was already on his way. Natanael pulled the covers over his head. Maybe if he pretended well enough, the Sandman would leave him be. All he had to do was steady his breathing, stay very still, and keep his eyes closed. His heartbeat pounded in his ears as the door slowly opened. Natanael listened as the footsteps circled his bed. They paused at his feet. A moment later, Natanael heard the footsteps slowly move back toward the door. It's working, he thought, hands shaking in suspense. Then the door slowly closed. Natanael couldn't believe his luck. He had tricked the Sandman. 
ever so cautiously, he lowered the corner of his blanket and peered out toward his bedroom door. Natanael screamed as sand flew into his eyes. He frantically rubbed at his face, trying to clear the rough debris from his vision. Before he could run, the Sandman grabbed Natanael and held him down. With a sinister chuckle, he used his long, claw-like fingers to pluck out the boy's eyes. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all of the episodes of Tales and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Tales in the search bar. The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of The Sandman features terrifying nightmares, torture of children, body dismemberment, mental illness, domestic abuse, and suicide. Please exercise caution for children under 13. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This week, we're telling the first half of The Sandman, a Prussian-German fairy tale about a spectral being who terrorizes children that stay awake past their bedtime. The character of The Sandman first appears in a German-French dictionary from 1771. He's alluded to in a single phrase, the Sandman comes. This vague and eerie idiom was used to say that a person looked so tired that they were about to fall asleep. Over the years, this phrase evolved into a folktale character of shifting description. Some stories depict him as a friendly old man in pajamas who uses magical sand to help children sleep and to give them good dreams. When they wake up and find sand in the corners of their eyes, they know they were visited by the Sandman. Other versions depict him as a marvelous storyteller, weaving strange and fabulous tales to lead children into peaceful slumber. But not all versions of this Lord of Dreams have been quite so friendly. In 1816, German author E.T.A. Hoffman published his short story, The Sandman, as part of a collection titled The Night Pieces. It's a twisted, macabre tale populated by strange machines, mad scientists, and wounded heroes. And at its center is Sandman himself. This time, not a friendly, bearded old man, but a nightmare in his own right. It begins with a child on the verge of adolescence, lost in the chasm between reality and fantasy. Natanael jumped up in bed as sunlight flooded his bedroom. He gasped as he realized that he could see. 
He rubbed at his eyes, freeing tiny specks of dust from the corners. His mother, standing at the curtain, said, Sorry, dear, I didn't mean to startle you. It's time to wake up. As she swept out of the room, Natanael flopped back down onto his sweat-soaked mattress. He let out a sigh of relief, trying to remember the details of his dream. After taking Natanael's eyes, the Sandman had dropped them into his cloth sack and departed for his home on the moon. Natanael shivered as he remembered the way the itchy, coarse fabric had felt against his eyes. The inky darkness had enveloped him completely until the sack suddenly opened and burning light flooded in. The last thing Natanael had seen through those disembodied eyes was the Sandman's owl-like children. He'd been powerless to avoid their gaping, hungry beaks. He could not so much as turn away as his eyes were torn to pieces, shutting out the light forever. But it had just been a nightmare, one of many, but a nightmare all the same. At seven o'clock that night, Natanael, his mother, and his sisters sat in a half-circle around their father's desk. Other than dinner, this was the only time they got to spend as a family because their father usually worked all day. On most nights, he would regale them with wonderful stories, contorting his face and voice to act out each part while cigar smoke wafted around him. On other nights, he would simply hand them picture books to read on their own while he sat quiet and morose. This night was one of the latter. Natanael glanced up from his book. His father was sitting in his easy chair, staring out the window. The orange light at the end of his cigar flared up brightly, then died out over and over again. It seemed to Natanael that his father's puffs were keeping time with the clock on the wall. When the clock chimed, Natanael's mother stood. She beckoned the children toward the door, repeating the same phrase she used every evening. Come children, it's nine o'clock, off to bed. The Sandman is coming. That simple phrase had haunted Natanael's nightmares for years. He'd always wanted to ask his mother who and what the mysterious character was, but the grim expression that clouded her features each night convinced him not to. So instead, he turned to his sister's elderly nursemaid for answers. She was more than happy to help. I'm surprised you do not know. The Sandman visits young boys and girls who refuse to go to bed when they're told. He steals their eyes and places them in his little black bag. He then flies to the half moon and feeds the eyes to his children. Not long after their conversation, the nightmares began. Eventually, Natanael's mother realized that he was sweating through his sheets each night. She demanded to know what was troubling him. When he finally told her, she responded with a sad smile. Darling, the Sandman isn't real. It is only something that is said when it is obvious someone is so tired that they must go to bed. Their eyelids appear heavy 
and they cannot keep their eyes open, as if someone has put sand in them. This should have been good news, but Nathanael didn't believe his mother. While her excuse seemed reasonable on the surface, it did not explain the sounds he heard each night after he and his sisters had gone to bed. Every time his mother sent them off with tidings of the Sandman's impending arrival, Nathanael heard the unmistakable sound of someone slowly climbing the stairs, followed by the door to his father's office opening. Nathanael had never seen this guest in person, but the regularity of the visits and the fact that they always occurred at night after his mother had sent the children to bed convinced him that it was none other than the Sandman. He could not understand why his father would spend time with such a fiend. The dreadful possibilities of what they could be doing consumed his imagination. Once Nathanael turned 10 years old, he decided that he couldn't stand not knowing any longer. Whatever horrors might come, he was going to meet the Sandman in person. A few days later, Nathanael sat at the dinner table staring at his plate with a sullen expression. He was in a bad mood because not only had he failed to spot the Sandman during multiple recent attempts, but because now his father's boss, the old lawyer Capellius, had come to dinner. Capellius was a dreadful old man who took joy in bringing sorrow to Nathanael and his sisters. He had a larger-than-average head with a yellow-tinted face and a curved, beak-like nose. His mouth was always distorted into a sneer, and his teeth stayed tightly clenched. His hands were extremely hairy. The children were so disgusted by his hands that they refused to eat anything he touched. Coppelius had quickly learned of their trepidation toward his hands and often made nefarious use of that knowledge. Nathanael's mother got up and left the dining room, returning a moment later with the cake she'd prepared for dessert. She set it on the table and began to cut it, but was interrupted by Coppelius. Here now, let me do that for you. He insisted gruffly. She paused in her motion and frowned before setting down the knife. Coppelius took the cake and began to serve it to the children. As he did so, he made a point to brush his hand along the side of every slice, sneering at the children as he passed them their plates. As Nathanael watched his cake be brazenly defiled, his temper boiled. He was tired of feeling weak and defenseless. There might be nothing he could do to get rid of Coppelius, but he didn't have to live in fear of a faceless specter. In that moment, he made up his mind. One way or another, he had to know what sort of devil was visiting his father each night. He had to see the Sandman for himself. A few nights later, Nathanael snuck out of his room after he and his sisters had been sent to bed. He crept to his father's office and, seeing that the door was open a crack, slipped quietly inside. As Nathanael had expected, his father was seated in his armchair with his back to the door. 
As quietly as he could manage, Natanael hurried past him and climbed into the large wardrobe in the corner. The wardrobe was dark, hot, and full of scratchy coats, but Natanael was determined to stay as long as necessary. He would not have to wait long. The sound was unmistakable. Just like many nights before, the Sandman was coming, and this time, Natanael was ready for him. Next, Natanael comes face to face with the man from his nightmares. Now, back to the story. Ten-year-old Natanael had always been afraid of the Sandman, the mysterious specter who was said to visit children who stayed up past their bedtimes. Now he believed that the Sandman was visiting his father each night. Determined to discover what they were up to, Natanael snuck into his father's office and waited. Soon, he heard the familiar sound of the visitor making their way up the stairs. Terrified that the pounding of his heart might give him away, Natanael shut his eyes and tried to slow his breathing. But soon, he could not wait any longer. Natanael drew the curtain back just enough to peek into the room. Natanael's mind reeled as the worlds of his imagination and reality collided. He had expected an otherworldly specter with clawed fingers and a curved beak. But what he saw was a tall, elderly man with a curved nose and hairy hands. It was the lawyer, Copelius. Natanael's father stood and ceremoniously bowed his head to welcome Copelius. The old man threw off his coat and snarled the words, Come, time for work. For a moment, Natanael could only stare in bewilderment. He was certain that the Sandman could not be a regular human, but the more he thought about it, the more he realized that the truth had been staring him in the face all along. His mother always said the Sandman was coming right before Coppelius showed up to work with his father. Perhaps the cruel lawyer was merely one of the nefarious Sandman's disguises. The two men changed into long, black frocks. Then they opened a cupboard along the wall. Natanael's eyes widened. Instead of a cabinet, he was staring into a hidden room with a small fireplace. Metal tools lined the walls, each more strange and menacing than the last. Copelius entered the room and crossed to the fireplace. He stooped, and a moment later, blue flames roared to life in the hearth. Natanael watched the two men melt large chunks of metal in the fire and then mold them into human faces. Natanael had no idea what they were doing, but the way the strange blue light reflected off his father's normally genial features sent a chill down his spine. Then, Coppelius cried out in a haunting tone, Eyes! I need the eyes here, now! This was all Natanael needed to confirm his suspicions that Coppelius and the Sandman were one and the same. 
fear as cold as ice clawed its way up from Nathaniel's gut and poured out of his mouth in a dreadful scream. His legs grew weak and he tumbled out of the wardrobe and onto the floor. The two men spun toward the noise. Nathaniel's father gasped and cried out for his son to run. But Coppelius pounced with the speed of a poltergeist, unbound by normal human restraints. He grabbed Nathaniel, yanked him across the room, and held him above the burning hearth. Nathaniel flailed, but Coppelius's hold was strong. He could feel the heat of the flames scorching his skin and smell his hair burning. Tears squeezed from the corners of his eyes, but evaporated before they touched his cheeks. At least this is a solution to our problem, growled Coppelius. Now we have eyes, fresh young children's eyes. Then Coppelius reached into the flames and grabbed a handful of red-hot sand to throw into Nathaniel's face. Please, no, cried out Nathaniel's father, clasping his hands together. Master, please allow my son to keep his eyes. Coppelius laughed wickedly. Have it your way, then. He shall keep his eyes for what is sure to be a tedious and pitiful life. But I must profit something from this interruption. We will examine the mechanisms of his hands and feet. Then, Coppelius threw Nathaniel onto their work table, tied him down, and began his examination. One by one, he appraised the boy's limbs, pulling, stretching, and twisting them in every direction. He explored the extent of their potential movement and then dislocated their joints to discover every detail of what made them function. Fortunately for Nathaniel, after only a few moments of the sharp, white-hot pain, the world grew dark and silent. Nathaniel did not know how long he slept. When he woke, he felt as if he were rising from the dead. A soft, warm breeze brushed across Nathaniel's cheek. He opened his eyes to find himself in his own bed. His mother was gently fanning him, and his father was standing in the corner, arms crossed, staring out the window. Nathaniel's throat was dry as the desert, but he still managed to croak out the words, Is the Sandman still here? Copelius? His mother asked. No, darling, he is gone. His father stepped to his side. I have informed him I can no longer work for him. I will have to manage on my own. His mother chimed in. He can't hurt you anymore. Then she pulled her son into a gentle embrace and kissed him on the forehead. No matter how much he asked, Nathaniel could never get his father to tell him what he had been working on with the evil man. After that fateful night, Coppelius was reported to have left town. He did not return until a year later. On the night Coppelius did eventually return, it was an otherwise pleasant evening. 
The children were in the study, listening to their father excitedly tell them tales from his youthful travels. Then the clock struck nine, and the door to the street creaked open. Nathaniel's mother turned instantly pale as she glared at her husband in disbelief. His father's face flushed as he slowly nodded his head. A sense of panic flooded through Nathaniel as his mother pleaded with her husband for him to not let Coppelius into their house again. Nathaniel's father looked down at the floor as he said, I promise this will be the last time he will come to me. Please, go now. Take the children and go off to bed. Good night. Nathaniel's mother grabbed his arm and pulled him out of the office and toward his bedroom. She said, Be a good boy, darling, and stay quiet. His mother pleaded with him as she opened his bedroom door. Now get into bed and go to sleep. Nathaniel tried to do as his mother had requested. He climbed into bed and crawled under his covers. But every time he closed his eyes, Coppelius was waiting for him, staring down with glittering eyes and a menacing grin. So instead, Nathaniel resigned himself to a night of sleepless terror. He lay as still as possible, staring up at his ceiling. As it happened, Nathaniel didn't have to spend the entire night in frozen silence. As the clock struck midnight, an earth-shattering bang erupted from his father's office. The entire house shook so violently that Nathaniel feared it would crumble to the ground around him. Nathaniel's heart leapt from his chest as the most heart-wrenching scream he had ever heard tore through the house. He jumped out of bed as if shot from a cannon and ran into the hall. Clouds of smoke were billowing from his father's door. Nathaniel took a deep breath and rushed in. Inside the office, he found his mother sprawled across the floor. Kneeling down, he found that she was breathing and uninjured, so he continued on through the smoke, making his way toward the hearth. He knew if something dreadful had happened, Coppelius's hidden experiment chamber just had to be involved. Sure enough, Nathaniel found his sisters kneeling on the floor in front of the hearth, weeping uncontrollably. In between them lay a motionless body wearing a black frock. The closer Nathaniel got to the body, the stronger his dread grew. He knelt next to his sisters and forced himself to look at the man in front of him. The face had been heavily distorted and burnt completely black, but there was no mistaking it. The body belonged to his father. Next, Nathaniel's fears follow him into adulthood. Now back to the story. Over the course of a year, 11-year-old Nathaniel's life had been turned upside down by the machinations of the evil man he knew only as Coppelius. First, Nathaniel was tortured by Coppelius. A year later, his father wound up dead in a mysterious explosion. 
This explosion just happened to occur the same night Coppelius had returned for their final meeting. There was no doubt in Nathaniel's mind that Coppelius had murdered his father. A few days later, Nathaniel stood over his father's coffin. The body had been cleaned and adjusted, making him look like a man at peace. Nathaniel breathed easier after seeing that his father once again looked like the man he loved. At least Coppelius's influence could not follow his father into the afterlife. The magisterial authorities spent the next few months searching for Coppelius, but he had disappeared. Not long after Nathaniel's father's death, a distant relative passed away as well, leaving two young children as orphans. Nathaniel's mother took them in, and their presence helped to lighten up the household. After living with only sisters for a good part of his childhood, Nathaniel quickly became friends with the young boy, whose name was Lothair. However, it was the girl, Clara, who became the center of his world. When people would talk of Clara, they never described her as beautiful, but Nathaniel was captivated by her red hair and blue eyes. He was enthralled with her selflessness and the way she faced the world with a profound sense of logic and reasoning. As Nathaniel and Clara grew older, they became inseparable. Eventually, at the appropriate age, they were betrothed. Nathaniel was able to find peace. He began to look forward to a positive life with Clara by his side. His nightmares never left him, but the joy he experienced during his waking hours made the darkness seem a little less powerful. Eventually, the time came for Nathaniel to leave for college. He would have to be separated from Clara for the first time, but they promised to write as often as possible. One day, as Nathaniel was studying alone in his apartment, he heard a knock at the door. He opened the door to find a traveling salesman who was peddling weather glasses and thermometers. He introduced himself as Giuseppe Coppola, a Piedmontese scientist and inventor. The moment he laid eyes on the man, an all-consuming sense of dread filled Nathanael's body. The man's features seemed to morph into a form that had haunted the dark recesses of Nathanael's mind for years. Somehow, he knew this traveling salesman was none other than the villain, Coppelius. Nathanael screamed for the man to go away and threatened to kick him down the stairs. Fortunately, the man quickly left on his own accord. It was as if all the good years melted away from Nathaniel's mind. He was consumed with thoughts of vengeance and overwhelming fear. Nathaniel knew he had to tell someone about what was happening. He feared that Clara would not understand. So in order to sort out his thoughts before trying to explain it to her, Nathaniel wrote a letter to Lothair. In this letter, he revealed every detail of his childhood trauma, including his long-held belief that Coppelius had murdered his father. 
But Clara had been waiting anxiously for any word from Nathanael, and when the letter arrived, she ignored the fact that it was addressed to her brother and chose to read it herself. When Nathanael returned home a couple of weeks later, Clara threw herself into his arms and confessed to reading the letter. Nathanael was so excited to see her, any irritation he felt at her intrusion melted away. Clara had been profoundly moved by Nathanael's story. If his father's killer was still at large, she was determined that they would discover the truth together and bring Coppelius to justice. So the pair set off to learn what they could. First, they questioned Nathaniel's mother about the nature of his father's relationship with Coppelius. While she was hesitant to discuss the subject, she finally confessed her suspicions. For years, she had believed that her husband and Coppelius had been practicing the mysterious and dangerous art of alchemy. Next, Clara and Nathaniel visited a family friend who was a chemist. He had no knowledge to share about Coppelius, but told the lovers that there was a reason alchemy was rarely practiced. Even the smallest mistake could cause a violent and often deadly reaction. Explosions were not uncommon. While Clara found these revelations to be deeply significant, Nathanael was still focused on finding Giuseppe Coppola, the scientist who he believed was none other than Coppelius. Eventually, they discovered that one of Nathanael's professors had known Coppola for many years. To Nathanael's frustration, they confirmed that he was indeed Piedmontese and not German like Coppelius. Nathanael was troubled by what all this might mean, but Clara suggested a possibility. It was clear, for one thing, that Coppola and Coppelius were not the same person as Nathanael had suspected, but beyond that, it seemed increasingly likely that his father had been killed in an alchemical accident. He had not been murdered after all. As strange as this idea seemed to Nathanael, he could not disagree with Clara's reasoning. His mind was put at ease for the next several days, but the more time he spent in his childhood home, the more he reminisced about the past and the darker his thoughts became. It was evident to everyone that Nathanael's mind was still infected by thoughts of Coppelius. Nathanael quickly began to give himself over to gloomy reveries. He started having trouble separating reality from his daydreams and began insisting that Coppelius had been influencing and controlling every part of his life. Soon, Nathanael was back to insisting that they hunt down his father's killer. He was certain that Coppelius would steal all of their happiness if they did not find and destroy him first. But the more Nathanael ranted and raved about Coppelius, the more Clara shrank away from him. After all she had done to help him discover the truth, she could not understand why Nathanael would cast aside reason for such repugnant ideas. She had had enough of his self-destructive behavior and decided it was time to confront him. 
Clara found Nathaniel in his room, hunched over a poem he'd been working on for the past few days. She cautiously walked over and perched on the corner of his desk. Nathaniel, dear, she began, could we talk for a moment? Nathaniel was instantly frustrated. He'd been having a particularly successful few minutes of writing and hated to be interrupted. But even so, he set his pencil down and leaned back in his chair. As soon as she was confident he was listening, Clara said, I agree with you that Coppelius is evil, but I do not think it is he who is causing your distress. Nathaniel crossed his arms. Clara continued, It is only belief in him that gives him power. All you need to do is refocus your mind on something more productive and refuse to give any more thoughts to him. Nathaniel jumped from his chair while declaring, I knew it. I knew you did not truly understand me. If you cared at all, you would help me find this villain. But instead, you choose to turn against me. Clara groaned and rolled her eyes. I have helped you. Together we found the truth of the matter, but you would seem to prefer your imagination to what is real and obvious and right in front of you. It would be foolish for me to help you to dwell on these matters for any longer. Nathaniel took a deep breath and asked, So then, you will not help me find Coppelius? Clara responded with a resolute, No. Nathaniel brought both hands to his head, clenching two clumps of hair in his fists, and let out a roaring scream. Then he plunged forward and shoved Clara off of his desk, yelling that she was possessed and had been turned into an unfeeling automaton. Clara tumbled to the floor, gasping in shock. Tears sprung from her eyes as she pushed herself across the ground, trying to get away from him. Hearing the commotion, Lothair rushed to see what was happening. He found his sister cowering on the floor while Nathanael screamed insults at her. Anger burned through Lothair's chest. He had already been growing weary of Nathaniel's nonsense and seeing his beloved sister weeping at Nathaniel's feet was the last straw. Lothair shoved Nathaniel away from Clara, planted himself firmly between them, and reached down to help her stand. As Lothair was guiding her toward the door, Nathaniel continued to rant and rave. At one point, he got so close to Lothair, he was screaming directly into his ear. Tell the truth, Nathanael screamed. You are a servant of Coppelius and are here to destroy our love and happiness. This is your fault. You and Coppelius turned her against me. As soon as Clara was free of the room, Lothair turned around and charged back to face Nathanael. As he did so, he removed his glove and threw it on the ground between them. For a brief moment, Nathanael stopped screaming. He stared at the glove on the floor, face red, eyes bulging. Then, calmly, he wiped the spit from his chin and knelt to pick up the glove. Without hesitation, he accepted Lothair's challenge. 
they would settle their grievances not with words, but with rapiers. Come morning, they would face one another in a duel, and only one man would walk away alive. Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Tales, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Tales on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Tales in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Tales was written by Amanda Hovseth, with writing assistance by Greg Castro, and stars Vanessa Richardson. 